0: I wanted to begin today by reminding all teachers, outdoor educators, really anybody who has any stake at all in uh, education. Anyways, if you're listening right now, you're all doing amazing things and you should be proud of yourselves. The reason I say that is that lots of you had to reinvent everything you do as a result of this pandemic. And the simple fact that you continue to find new ways to keep children involved in learning is a testament to your adaptability. Somebody said it to me early on in the pandemic that, you know, it feels sometimes like we're trying to build the plane while we're flying it. And that's true. And it may be very rough at times, but the truth is we're still, we're still flying. We're still getting off the ground. So great job. Keep up the good work. Give yourselves a pat on the back. I wanted to also thank Isaac Acosta Jr. for reaching out to me via email and also to a new connection I made, Mike. Out in Calgary, a fellow outdoor ed teacher with whom I'm hoping to find creative ways to collaborate with our outdoor ed classrooms during this pandemic. Quick reminder, if you wanted to get a hold of me, I can be reached at disconnectpodcast at protonmail.com. And I would really, truly love to hear from you. I call today's episode Once Upon a Playground. Not only is it a quote from the program, which today's guest will be speaking to us about, but it beautifully encompasses the ideas in today's show, namely that imagination is a powerful source of inspiration and that it can serve purposes far beyond those that we commonly attribute to it. This may seem tangential for a moment, but please try to follow my train of thought. In a 2012 study titled The City Snuffs Out Nature, Young People's Conceptions of and Relationship with Nature by Pam Poynton from the University of Cambridge's Faculty of Education, it was noted that not every student experiences the countryside the same way. Of course, this might sound like common sense, but not everyone feels the same way about raw nature, or as it was said in the study, quote, disgust in walking through fields of cow pats and fear of sheep presented barriers to enjoyment of the countryside. Now, there was a notable difference in students from visible minorities who recall being stared at and or feeling out of place, which made them uncomfortable, My nature may not feel and look the same as your nature, since our own interpretations will be affected by our past experiences. The study really aimed to categorize the way students felt about nature through written responses, and students were asked how they understood the terms nature and environment, and how it was important to them, if at all. 387 students took part in the study, and results, to me at least, shone a light on yet another disconnect, in dire need of attention. To my chagrin, more than half of the students felt a utilitarian relationship with nature. Somewhat redeeming, though, was that many students, in spite of this utilitarian relationship, also felt strong emotional connections with nature. The vast majority of students wrote about the biotic or living components of nature in their responses, while very little mentioned the abiotic or non-living components like rocks, water, and soil. Unfortunately, as was observed in the study, this also meant that responses recognizing the interrelationships of the biotic and abiotic were very rare. The rarity of these observations is noteworthy, and I especially think it's important to reflect on because the biotic, plants, our food, etc., grows in the abiotic. Minerals, vitamins, and nutrients, the abiotic, are essential to life, the biotic, Ecosystems are by definition an interrelationship of biotic and abiotic. Everywhere you look, the biotic and the abiotic are inseparable. The very foundation of nature is an interrelationship and interdependency between the biotic and abiotic. Yet, our teaching has found a way to separate them. This suggests to me that the focus of our education can become so myopic at times that we lose sight of the bigger picture. We can't see the forest for the trees. We fail to see how things connect, how everything is relative to something else. In fact, relativity, Einstein's scientific masterpiece, was founded on this very idea. The quote in the title of the aforementioned study demonstrates this myopic vision we often suffer from exquisitely The city snuffs out nature, implying that city and nature are mutually exclusive. But this doesn't have to be the case. Many city parks have greater biodiversity than large monoculture swaths of countryside. Many ingenious animals are finding ways of inhabiting urban landscapes with tremendous success, notably raccoons or, for example, New York's Central Park coyotes. A city and nature can coexist, even if they don't always. But back to relativity. I recently read through a 1929 interview with Albert Einstein by the Saturday Evening Post. Yes, the same Saturday Evening Post that's so well known for its Norman Rockwell covers. And in this interview, George Sylvester Viereck asks Einstein at one point, simultaneously puzzled and in awe of how Einstein draws some of his conclusions or inspirations, then you trust more to your imagination than to your knowledge? To which Einstein replied... I am enough of the artist to draw freely upon my imagination. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. Many quotes are often misattributed to Einstein, but this one's real, and I'll actually post a link in the episode notes to a scan of the microfilm from the 1929 publication. It's actually a fun read. I love the way Einstein talks about imagination encircling the world. Great thinkers don't let themselves be bound by rules. The best musicians make their instruments do things nobody has heard before. Imagination is the key to solving the world's problems as much as it is what allows us to write a poem. I think that, as educators, we have a tendency at times to get stuck within the confines of our classroom. We fall prey to the idea that the city has snuffed out nature, and as we get overwhelmed with things to do and learning outcomes to cover— While with the little energy that we have left, we resort to taking the most efficient way to teach something, for which I don't blame you. I'm guilty of it too. We end up confined to our classrooms and concrete city schoolyards. We take the easy way out. But few things in life worth doing are easy. My guest today works with a theatre company in Glasgow, Scotland, which runs inner-city school programs, where they turn their own concrete schoolyards into imaginary forests rich in real and mythical biodiversity. Drawing upon the talents of drama artists, ecodrama helps students who may feel disconnected from nature and teachers who may feel that nature is too far away find a new connection, both personal and educational, with the very same nature that can seem so elusive and distant from core area schools. Hi, Emily. How are you?
1: Hi, Joel. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining me. So you yes. work with a theatre company called Ecodrama. Who are yes. Ecodrama?
1: So Ecodrama are a children's theatre company based in Glasgow in Scotland. We were founded in 2007, um, uh, primarily as a response, a creative response, to the local and global uh, climate issues that we're facing. Um. So we make uh, theatre, we produce creative learning projects and uh, deliver drama-based workshops all around the themes of environmental sustainability, ecology um, and uh, nature connection, essentially. Uh, the goal is to nurture children's natural curiosity and wonder for the natural world and ensure it becomes and remains a, a a core uh, value in how we live our lives. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's our our primary goal.
0: I ha- um, I have to admit. In all of the reading I've done on the subject, Eco Drama is likely one of my favorite initiatives. So I'm super thankful that you took the time to speak with me. I think it's just an amazing product or project. Yeah,
1: um, thank you so much for having us
0: here. I, I remember on your website also reading about uh, something that you guys call the UK's first living stage. What is yeah. the living stage?
1: Oh, that was uh, probably the project um, that's. Closest to my heart in terms of what we've produced over the thirteen years we've been in operation. So the living stage, um, essentially, uh, was a, a a biodegradable, edible and recyclable stage that we grew <laughs> <laughs> with children ac- across Glasgow from seed. Um, so you and grew so- with the students. It- with the students, oh, yes. Yeah, students so Aged 5 to 11 at um, four different primary schools um, in the north, south, east <laughs> and west of the city of Glasgow. Um, we started the project in March to coincide with the growing season. And we planted loads of uh, native Scottish plants uh, from vegetables, uh, fruits, herbs and flowers. All that um, we uh, knew would come to fruition around about July, August. And so, yeah, over the timeline of the spring summer, and um, the children in the four schools cared for the plants. Um, they took part in design workshops with uh, eco drama in collaboration with um, Australian uh, set designer and eco scenographer Tanya Beer, who is the sort of founder of the concept of the living stage, and she came over to to the UK to Scotland to um, collaborate on the project with us. And they undertook design workshops with Tanya and sort of creative design workshops with myself and a drama artist um, looking at the concept of uh, a a stage made from plants. And we explored themes to do with home, seeing our wider planet as home and uh, themes to do with how plants can uh, nurture and heal us. Um, and so these creative development workshops essentially informed uh, the creation of of the show that we ended up producing, the professional uh, ecodrama company, which we created. Um, so, so what happened was in the summer holidays, uh, we went around in our biodiesel van and collected all the plants from the schools as they were closing for the summer holidays. And we took them to a polytunnel to look after them over the summer months of June and July. And then during that time, um, myself as the director, Tanya as the designer, um, and then a cast of three. um, So we had a dancer, a musician, a cellist, and um, a performer called Caroline Matheson, who's worked with us loads. And we all got in a room with some of the plants and we just started devising, using some of the children's ideas and their responses, um, and ended up creating and devising a theatre production called Uprooted which was essentially a show um, based on three characters who live in this topsy-turvy, upside-down world where everything is got plants growing out of it. It's people's home. It's their home, um, Lily, Plum and Basil. And, um, yeah, they have plants growing out of their teacups, mint growing out of their bathroom sink. Um, they've got uh, cress growing out of their hats. It's, it's really quite a... A sort of upside down, mad little world, and um, yeah. And then the show was ready, basically, to, to to present and open at the end of July. Just at the moment that the plants were in full bloom, um, and we t- we toured it to four different locations in Glasgow city, um, summer festivals and and venues. And then to to close the tour, we uh, toured it to the four primary schools in their playgrounds. And the stage brightened up, essentially quite an urban concrete-looking uh, playgrounds that, that the majority of the schools that took part had, yeah. and the backdrop of this sort of concrete urban world with these beautiful <laughs> luscious plants just was really striking, and I think the sort of the biggest thing that struck us from performing for for the children was that they they couldn't believe that it was their plants. They were, you know, saying, but how, this is all, this is a trick, you know, how did these plants grow from seeds? Because they had last seen the plants in June when they were sort mm-hmm. of medium seedlings. And then the magic that happened over the summer holidays, you know, and we had courgettes <laughs> bursting to life and beet roots growing and squash and um you know all these these plants so i think that was the biggest wow moment for the children was them going these are our plants and they're in a professional theater production and and after the show was
0: was this just this past year
1: um well this was 2015 um and it was yeah so it's it was a, a while ago now and we've always wanted to do it again but um it was such a huge undertaking for such a small company oh, I see in that. terms of
0: resources. You're and talking about the greenhouses and the transporting. It's yeah, massive. it was the, yeah. yeah, the logistics of it all just seem yeah, <laughs> incredible. Absolutely.
1: And at a time when we were, I really, you know, at the time it was just myself working full time for the company and managing everything in the office with um somebody and helping me two days a week. It was just, you know, we were just massively understaffed for what we did, but mm-hmm. I think we because we struggled through that and kind of the goal, you know, was what kept us going. And um, yeah, were where we to do it again, we just make sure that we were properly staffed. But um, uh, it's at, a big at the dream. end of the. Uh, yeah, it was um, and amazing to work with Tanya Beer to bring that to life. Um, it was also. So Tanya's growing living, living stages all over the world. The first was in Castlemaine in Australia and they grew a stage using old apple crates, which were local to that particular area of Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, then she came to the UK, to Wales, and she did a, another living stage there called the Transplantable Living Room, mm-hmm. um, then uprooted in Scotland, in Glasgow with us. Um, then she went on to do further living stages in New York and um, Melbourne. So she just keeps going with it. And so we were, we we're really proud to have that. And one of the key concepts of the living stage idea is that um, the, the um, sustainability <laughs> of the set is designed in from the very start of the project so we knew exactly where, where that set was going to go at the end and yeah. so that we wanted to reduce waste from the very start So I feel our, like this is goal.
0: such a great idea and so even accessible to, to school teachers I have a colleague who does uh, school plays on a yearly basis and I think yeah. she would just go nuts over this idea uh, yeah, I'll have to mention it to absolutely. her because Please you can do don't. it on a really small scale.
1: Definitely. Yeah, you know, you could do a small garden play for example in your school grounds and and decide to grow, you know, plant that stage together and then you know, work in groups and do small mini- miniature plays Is that using that as a backdrop or um yeah, it's got so much so many creative learning possibilities and performance op- opportunities and um as soon as you place plants in a sort of performance context they really become I'm um, really magnified and and um, one thing we talked a lot about during the process was seeing the plants as co-performers. Mm. And um, you know, we even had we had understudies. We had you know we'd rotate them on a daily slash weekly basis, depending on the type of plant. And we'd have like <laughs> cast one come out for one performance, and then we'd put them back into rest in the polytunnel, and then cast number two would come <laughs> out and do the next show. And, yeah. Um, just to make sure that we we had a sort of care of duty to these living things as well. Which is an uh, interesting segue
0: into crop rotation.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. He's got many offshoots from this and um, and a, a huge project to just learn about plants and really reconnect with the soil and um, the food that we eat and um, native plants. I learned so much myself on this journey about uh, local plants that were used in the past for healing and plants that um, provide different vitamins and um, just old folk stories that came with certain plants, like and so you, so you weren't an expert orange. then
0: before you uh, before you took this song, no.
1: no, absolutely. And I wouldn't say that about myself for any of the things with ecodrum. That's the thing. i I feel like the work I started the company purely, you know, as a sort of real gut response to what was going on in, nat- in the natural world, of an emotional response. And then um, I find that with every production, that I've directed or or devised, um, my journey is 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 coming from a place of curiosity and sort of almost relearning things mm-hmm. um, that I've learned as a child. You know, one of our shows, the Worm and Underground Adventure. I felt like I was going on that journey that I probably went on age two or three, <laughs> discovering what worms were. But um, this time, it was with a sort of well with an adult brain but also trying to reconnect with that childlike sense of curiosity and wonder mm-hmm. and um i find that you know with, with, yeah with every play that i've written there's definitely been a a journey of um, knowledge and learning and and that's what drives me is is you know to it keeps me interested as well as a maker and yeah um, and i, I that, think i think yeah. that's
0: really such an important message for teachers to hear because you know, when mm. we try to get teachers to go out on a limb and try something new and they say, ah, oh, but I don't know the plants. Yeah. yeah. And so you learned the- as you went.
1: Absolutely. And, and then y- your interest and passion rubs off on the children that you're working with. And, you know, if you're excited that you've just learned that, oh, wow, this plant borage in old scotland they used to give it as a medicine to help give people courage like that's Mm -hmm. really cool this this fact and they mix it up into a little tea and and then you know and then you can think of ways that you want to weave that into well for me it was weaving it into the story of the play and um yeah i guess that's it if you've got an inkling you know to, to learn about something then um No, there's there's so much that can come of it and especially when you're working with young people and
0: absolutely they're just a constant source of inspiration like they Uh,
1: yeah absolutely the wonder Um, in their
0: eyes is always there
1: yeah, yeah absolutely and yeah i think the exciting thing about the living stage project was that the stage in the end got replanted back into the one of the playgrounds of the four schools that had a kind of metal fenced area in their playground and we replanted the stage into this area and transformed it essentially into a unique kind of creative play space that the school can now use yeah. as a space for storytelling or outdoor learning or gardening. That's such a um, beautiful collaboration. Indeed and then, and then they've got the ownership of it as well mm-hmm. going forward and they they always felt that ownership like these are my plants. Um you know it's it wasn't wasn't ecodramas, it wasn't the gardeners, it was their plants, it was mm-hmm. their seeds they'd nurtured them and um yeah, I think that if if you can tap into that with young people hope, you know hopefully that that sense of ownership and of their own learning is is what yeah uh, yeah, just nourishes kind of meaningful learning experiences that make yeah. greater impact so yeah, so, so it sounds like stuff. you
0: were quite closely with schools, and I know that one of your projects is called yeah. Out to Play, uh, yeah. and I know that this is a collaboration between Ecodrama and schools. Can you tell me more about the Out to Play project?
1: Yeah, so Out to Play um, is our current creative learning project that um, was established in 2015. Um, the project grew out of initial conversations we had with primary school teachers who were saying... I've got this remit for outdoor learning to reconnect children with nature in our playground, but we've got a concrete sp- playground space. How do I connect with nature when there isn't a tree in sight? Mm. And throughout various conversations that we were having, we started to realise that um, drama and storytelling, whose sort of key driving principles of the, the for- these forms are, are imagination, um, we started to sort of think, well, perhaps there's a project here that can. Sort of bridge this gap between more sort of traditional outdoor learning, um, when you're working with urban schools set set in urban environments, mm-hmm. um, perhaps the imagination is the key here. So, so out to play. That was where it kind of started, and then we started a pilot in 2015, working with four schools, the same four schools that were working on the Living Stage project, and every week a drama artist, uh, Ben McFadden, he went out with three groups from the, the school and we're basically drawing on themes from uh, sort of tr- traditional sort of outdoor learning themes but uh, on a wider sense tapping into learning for sustainability, mm-hmm. sustainable development, education and um, exploring these through uh, the mediums of storytelling and drama um, and creative play and trying to essentially reimagine um, that playground space so that um, we can promote the idea that we can connect with nature on our doorstep. You don't need to travel to a nature reserve or have the correct pair of trousers or binoculars yeah. in order to witness nature, that nature is all around us. If we just look for it, it's the bird tweeting on your doorstep, or it's that little tree that's just hidden to the left of the school. How can we connect with that? And if it's not there, then that's where the wonder of storytelling can come in, yeah, and try and yeah. connect children that way. So, um, so so in its form, um, out to play is a a five week residency where a drama artist will work in collaboration with a school, um, and a certain number of classes in that school, if not the whole school, and their teachers, and children go out for uh, a one hour session uh, every week for five weeks. Uh, First of all with the drama artist for four weeks and then in the final week the teacher having uh, worked alongside the drama artist uh, they then decide to plan and shape their own creative outdoor learning session drawing on the mediums of drama and storytelling and some if not many of the teacher's haven't uh, explored these particular mediums in their teaching and some have loads of experience which is wonderful and it's a chance for them to reignite that passion that they've previously had for these subjects mm-hmm. um, and for others it's their first time kind of exploring drama and what that means um, and we just witness absolutely fantastic sessions from the teachers we've worked with Um really seeing them pushing the boundaries of their practice mm-hmm. taking risks um, trying new things and just giving them that space within an already jam-packed curriculum mm-hmm. where they're being asked to do, you know, being asked to be wonder, wonder women, wonder men, you know, teach, teachers these days have so much placed on them. Um, but I'll, I'll, many teachers have commented on just having that space timetabled in to mm-hmm. uh, reflect and to develop their practice. So more this creative. is as
0: much for the teacher as it is for the students in the end. Yes
1: absolutely yeah we wanted to make sure there was a real lasting legacy with the project (laughs) so that it wasn't just us parachuting in for a few weeks and then leaving again um so one of the main ways we felt that we could achieve that was by building in a kind of concurrent cpd um uh, element to the project that ran alongside it so in week three we have a a sort of planning session where we work with the teachers to plan their teacher-led session and and then we also have an end of project CPD session with all of the teachers in the school mm-hmm. to examine the best practice um, and develop further how they're going to implement out to play going forward in their schools. So the main goal is, is to have out to play become a regular part of that, that particular school's timetable, whether that be a daily out to play session, a weekly or a monthly out to play session. And we have had schools say that it's become a regular fixture or just that they're doing more outdoor learning, or that they're approaching it a different way, um and that this project's helped them to reimagine what it can be beyond sort of more traditional parameters yeah. um, of our understanding of sort of more yeah, more traditional outdoor learning, which um, yeah, we're we're trying to bring this sort of emotional connection into that really, which can can sometimes be not all the time, but can sometimes be missing in more traditional forms of of environmental outdoor education.
0: Yeah, my understanding is that the, the pilot project actually ended up being awarded the Glasgow City Council Environmental Initiative Award.
1: Yeah, and yeah, that's right.
0: Did, did this come as a surprise? Or how did it affect your project?
1: Yeah, I think that was the real catalyst towards it becoming a um, continuation and a four-year project thereafter. So the, the, the Out to Play project in 2015 was was a pilot. We didn't know where it was going to go, um, and and we we did the lo- the living stage project um, alongside this. And yeah, I think by the end of the project, when we we held one of our biggest CPD sessions in the city to date, we had we held four in the northwest, south, and east of the city, and we had almost a hundred teachers attend, which was the most that we'd ever had at any of our CPDs. Mm-hmm. And so we knew there was a real appetite. Um, for the, for this kind of work, and um, and then when we got picked up by the awards, and they saw what we were doing, and I think that out to play, in coinciding with the the Living Stage project, both were were attracting quite a lot of um positive press, I guess you could say, and um so I, I think that award just really was like the sort of icing on the cake at the end of what had been one of my favourite years to date with Ecodrama in terms of what we'd achieved and um, it being a, a project that we felt had a lot of life beyond that particular year. So, so yeah, that's what helped us to um, respond and then plan for a four-year project, mm-hmm. 2017 to 21, which we're currently just embarking on year four of at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just feel like, Um, I've certainly uh, enjoyed my work the last four years in developing and nurturing this project to to what it's become um, at the moment. So I'm so glad it's had a life beyond that 2015 year.
0: So in reading through some of the sample material on your website, and by the way, anybody who's listening should absolutely go check out ecodrama.co.uk, check it out. There's some wonderful sample material on there. Uh, But I was captivated by the language and the diagrams used inside of even just the sample content they're beautiful they're full of rich imagery Uh, Mm. you know it it began with once upon a playground which I Mm. really loved Uh, Mm. and the journey from the classroom really kind of gave me that sense of adventure that uh, I think really set the narrative for me, at least reading the, the rest of the sample content. And I absolutely loved, I, I call it the seasons of wonder diagram, but you'll know which one I'm mm. talking about. And if you, yeah, you know.
1: yeah, um,
0: it's clear that a huge amount of, of work went into all of this, but mm. I, I have to, I have to ask you, how do you cultivate wonder in a group of highly distracted and rambunctious children? <laughs> because anybody <laughs> who's taught elementary will know that getting yeah. them to zone in on one thing uh, yes, is, is just this monumental task
1: absolutely, and you know, you know, first of all, just should say that absolute all credit to that wonderful season's wheel and and the pack itself has to go to Ben Malley mcfadden who was the original drama artist we collaborated with to develop this project, and he, along with another drama artist Sophie McCabe, they were the ones that um wrote this this pack and you know, that lovely seasons wheel was, was Ben, you know, and um, this idea of, you know, starting with wonder, building excitement, drawing in inspiration, moving towards the end of the session. We're looking at collaboration uh, towards the end of the session. You're celebrating and reflecting. And then, and then it was about how we bring the outdoors back into the classroom. Um, so a lot of these concepts were, you um, you know they were developed as the project went on and then really crafted but yeah but when it, thinking of your question and Ben would be absolutely best place to to ask, answer this because this was his his daily challenge with how mm-hmm. to play um in terms of working with groups from age 5 right through to uh, 13 uh, to, to 11 sorry and um yeah i think that the seasons wheel was kind of integral into getting their focus i suppose yeah. so um with that initial wonder stage i suppose the beauty of of being um oh what should i should say the beauty or sort of the luck of not being their regular teacher yes
0: <laughs> it
1: already gives you like uh, a sense of focus that they um they, they may not have in their sort of regular class so we always recognize that that helped and mm-hmm. um, with with the drama artist being that outside person and the sort of excitement that was built towards them coming. So in that first section of, of, of the of the workshop, which was about wonder and, and, and exciting wonder, you know, they might have used um, teacher enroll, role, for example, like a, a wearing a hat and becoming a character, or they might have embarked on a treasure hunt around the playground to reveal a chest full of leaves um, in some way, creating that excitement and... Um, it wasn't always easy, and there was always, you know, some classes that were more rowdy than others. But I think by sort of starting with that very clear um thing of wonder, then how can I excite them? How can I bring a sense of curiosity so that they, I would do, have their attention to continue mm-hmm. um the session? That that was a helpful way to start. Um, and then you know excitement. Ben played around with a lot of the different structures. You know, sometimes the class would just need to get straight to excitement. Let's burn some energy. Yeah. Let's make yeah. a fire, a pretend fly fire. Let's um, run about to the different parts of the playground. Um, and just if that's what that cl- particular group needed, then that then helped them to sit down and focus. Yeah. Um, under yeah. the story tree for that part of the session. So, um, the the seasons wheels. So, <laughs> That we we um, have in the pack should be used sort of loosely, and it's about knowing your own group, I suppose. Which um, all teachers will obviously know, you know, their own own classes and what will, what they all respond best to. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's by no means without its challenges. So yeah, um, well, yeah. Well,
0: I I heard you mention earlier that a lot of the schools you work with have these kind of concrete schoolyards, and I think that's the reality for a lot of teachers, especially mm. in urban settings. So my understanding is that you you bridge the gap and you bring students into nature by Mm. becoming nature almost, in a way.
1: Mm. Yeah, Yeah, if you can um, in some way characterize elements of nature through what they're doing, um, that is helpful. Or if they become tellers in the story, Mm -hmm. if they become the animals or if they become... The landscapes that you're talking about um, it's a lot easier um, when you're working with the imagination I guess anything is possible and things are more infinite so um, in terms of education that is a great sort of starting point to reimagining your space and imagining nature is there Um, so yeah role play and drama has got a really fantastic role within that um, within that world and the packs themselves have a lot of ideas and stories and ways that um, a teacher that's never even looked at drama before can sort of tap into uh, these exercises and activities and, yeah. and, build, and build confidence yeah. in using them as, so this as was learning.
0: So this was a five-week program if I remember. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. What kind of feedback did you get from students and teachers by the end of the program?
1: Oh we had a real wide selection and um, so we made sure that evaluation was really underpinning the whole thing so we we did before surveys and we did after surveys with all participants and these kind of surveys were looking at um, not only improvements to knowledge and understanding but also things like attitudes and values um enjoyment and what inspiration they took from the programme um as well as um yeah, as well as the more sort of knowledge and understanding and measuring what they might have learned. so mm-hmm. um we had uh, children commenting, you know, for example, one of one of the things was we got them to use a series of words to describe nature before they took part in the program, and it contained a lot of sort of negative uh, describing words like icky or dangerous or um far away um. And then we asked them to do the same thing afterwards, and we got uh, such a noticeable amount of different adjectives being used Mm -hmm. to um, warm, uh, um, happy, or what it was, on on my doorstep, um, love. I I can't remember exactly what words at the moment, but we've charted it in all of our evaluations, but there was just a real shift in terms of how they were viewing nature as this thing to be... um, that they were connected to, that they were emotionally connected to um, as opposed to something that was more distant to them. So that was yeah. quite a striking thing. Um, also just that the programme, a lot of commented that they felt happier when they were learning outdoors. Um, calmer was a word that was used a lot. Interesting. Um Interesting. A lot of teachers commented on particular children who didn't respond to more traditional forms of classroom learning suddenly coming out of their shell Mm -hmm. uh, or responding, behaving better when they were outdoors, um, turning on the head what they'd thought they'd behave like outside. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a wonderful one that happens a lot with drama anyway, whether it's indoors or outdoors, loads of comments about know from teachers that particular people so shy i hadn't heard her speak since she started school and suddenly she was standing in front of her whole class performing a small a short scene Um, so this kind of transformative kind of um power of drama or pulling pulling out uh shyer quieter characters and um and also just helping with group work and communication and these kind of things were were strong indicators but and yeah, so the this major, evaluation
0: was done by Ecodrama. And it
1: was done by in, Ecodrama, yes. Yeah. In so partnership we,
0: with the teachers or, or was there, because I'm, I'm hearing that you did your own evaluation in terms of getting students um, to monitor kind of the changes in behavior, but that yeah, uh, exactly. the teachers did their own perhaps evaluations on curricular outcomes beside that?
1: yeah. Yeah, so the teachers did their own, uh, and they also undertook the evaluations. It wasn't eco drama that um we we wrote the questions, but we didn't um we didn't deliver it. It was yeah. the teacher that delivered um the before and after surveys and. Um, got the children to give the most honest responses, these kind of things. I'm just, um, I feel yeah, like this is I such
0: should... a, an opportunity for amazing cross-curricular assessment in terms of mm. you can assess language skills, you, you know, you could do ELA, you could mm. do science, you could do social studies. I, I feel like Absolutely. there's a lot of different kind of curricular outcomes that could be satisfied or could be met through this program.
1: Absolutely. It just grew arms and legs. You know, we didn't really... You sort of, yeah it was only once we were in and doing it that we realized how much teachers were um using this program to for example develop literacy mm-hmm. and numeracy and really focusing on these things but health and well well-being yeah the expressive arts which are so holistic anyway in their approach um and then yeah, you've got social studies you know almost yeah almost every subject within the curriculum is, is incredibly interdisciplinary and um, in terms of teachers' responses, I think they were um, a lot of were were really enthused, um, saying they didn't realise that uh, the power of imagination in outdoor learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so to to hear that response often and in a positive way was really encouraging for us, um, as we we felt that that was the kind of crux of it, and then you know storytelling and drama were the were the tools that we were using to promote that. Um, So hopefully a lot of teachers are are now tapping into their creative side and a lot more um, and uh, in using these art forms that they might not have otherwise used um, before.
0: These were students, if I recall, ages 5 to 11?
1: Um, Originally, yeah, the project was just for primary school from uh, 5 to 11. And then in 2018, we branched out. Um, So it was year three of the project we delivered in eight nurseries across Glasgow so that was oh. working with three to five-year-olds wow. uh, so the early years strand developed a whole new set of resources and lesson plans and a whole kind of different approach as well where we borrowed from a lot of the ideas in the primary program but obviously needed a whole different approach with oh. regards to making sure there was free play and um, you know it, it, yeah it a different learning <laughs> pedagogy really for obviously for <laughs> learning years and and now in year four as well, we're getting ready to deliver our first secondary project. Which, wow!
0: Yeah, which is yeah. kind of where I was going with this. Is I was wondering, yeah. could the program be adapted for something beyond the early years? Because I, I think I teach mostly high school. I've taught elementary in yeah. the past, uh, yeah. and to get that same amount of wonder that we call it—you uh, know, grades nine through twelve or secondary one through four—which okay. would be kind of ages fifteen or fourteen through seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. um my nines my my kind of 14 15 year olds i think would still respond well i think okay. i would struggle getting that level of engagement from 17 year olds yeah so b- yeah. but i'm also not an, uh, a drama artist so how would yeah. you how how it sounds like you've begun this process how how would you adapt this for use beyond the early years
1: yeah, so we've just begun this process, I should say. So we um, had a meeting and we were all set up to deliver our first secondary project, which in, which was in May. And unfortunately, due to the pandemic, it's been cancelled. Um, but during this process, as we've been planning it, we, we actually chose to just work with the S1, which is the 13-year-old. So it's the first level of secondary in Scotland. Um, And the reason being was we felt that, you know, in terms of making the leap into secondary, Working with those that had just graduated from primary school would be a good sort of bridger for us as well. <laughs> Baby <And> to, steps. <laughs> but, uh, you're totally with us, yeah. Because, like you've just said, I think we were we were ourselves daunted with working with maybe anyone from 15 plus, and um, particularly when in this country, and I'm sure it's the same in yours. There's such a huge emphasis on exams,
0: absolutely, and
1: you remove them from that exam curriculum you've got to really justify what they're doing. And um, so at this stage, um, I, I've given it thought, but I, I don't have the answers. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously drama as an art form can work with, with older um, young people as well. And um, it's not to say that we would never go there, but um, I think when we spoke to the, the secondary school, they seemed really excited and felt that their S1s still had a real sense of, childlike sort of spirit about them and a a sense of play. And they said they got really excited about treasure hunts and these kind of things. So I think we felt a a little bit more confident that we can borrow from um, what Out to Play upper primary was, but also develop that as well. So, Well, I um, almost wonder
0: if, uh, you know, at the early years you really do focus on wonder and you try to create that excitement about being outside with the the kids. Yeah. But I almost wonder if simply shifting the focus towards more dramatic, experiences yeah. in high school might set the stage yeah. a little better for the the level yeah. of kind of cognitive thinking that they're capable of
1: absolutely I think you're you're spot on yeah so the there's a um the, the one tact that we were going to take with with the s1s was using a lot more process drama um as opposed to sort of traditional storytelling and um yeah those more exciting drama techniques that we might use at primary and um, so process process drama how we were going to use that was we, we were going to create um uh, and i still hope this project will go ahead as well but we we were going to create a, a three-part workshop where they travel to the future uh and they hear about how we didn't solve the climate crisis in time and we see we hear stories from people in that time and they're trying to send a message back to 2020 and mm-hmm. hope that people um, can start to do the right thing um, to address the climate crisis so that's the kind of premise um, but then through using role play and debate we're hoping to engage in a more cognitive way and through them taking on uh, roles as for example a community council or um, government officials or um, people across the world that are affected we're hoping that we can start to develop different viewpoints and um, so it's tapping a lot into global citizenship as well and mm-hmm. um, yeah and, and using drama and role play hopefully it gives them that emotional connection and also uh, uh, gives them the uh, space to develop their opinions yes. and process emotions yes. about the climate crisis in a much more in a safe space that they might not be getting in regular in their regular school timetable or they might not be getting at home and so we also wanted to try and address with this program um climate anxiety mm-hmm. um, and doing so in a sensitive way through the guise of the drama um, so so that that was our that's our, our plan we haven't yet delivered it but um we're we were literally in the process um of, of writing this program at the time everything just got cut cut yeah. short
0: yeah, um, I absolutely love that idea of, of coming back from the future. In fact, I think I'm going to use that in my grade 10 science class.
1: Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, we yeah, teach absolutely. a lot of
0: ecology in grade 10 science. And uh, one of the things we want to teach is, like you said, um, you know, sustainability, global yeah. citizenship, all those types of things. I think that's wonderful. And full disclosure, okay. I'm a huge fan of role-playing games. Uh, oh, so, easy. so I think that there's a lot of, of room in there to, to explore that. And, and you'd mentioned giving students a safe space to explore who they are to develop their opinions. And I think uh, role playing mm-hmm. and drama is so powerful in that regard, because it allows you to be someone you aren't, or it gives you, it, it gives you kind of the green light yeah. to be someone you yeah. want to be.
1: Mm, mm, exactly and so you can say those
0: things under the guise of you know wearing a different hat meanwhile yeah. you're kind of coming to terms with is that really the way i feel about it mm-hmm.
1: exactly so i love
0: that absolutely love it yeah. my that last question my last question i won't keep you any longer i promise <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I live in canada and it yeah. doesn't matter how badly i want to work with ecodrama i go up uh. to my administrators <laughs> and i say you know what there's this amazing group of, of drama artists I want to I wanna bring them into the school, but I need oh, you to foot the that. bill for a couple plane tickets from Scotland. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what the answer will be. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Your program is amazing. I think it's exactly what we need in terms of getting kids outside, reigniting their senses. Um, mm. And I want to start this in my classroom. You've given me a great idea, but for someone who's teaching in elementary years, someone who's teaching mm. in middle years, if you had mm. to give them just one piece of advice based on your experience – everything mm. that you've learned from the program, what's the what's the little kind of piece, the nugget of wisdom that will mm. help them get past those early challenges into starting something like this with their classroom?
1: Oh, gosh, yeah, that's a big one. Um, I guess, I mean, if it's a little nugget, I guess just trust in the ability of your imagination to get you where you want to go. Um, for everything, basically, you <laughs> know, and anything that you do, um, but yeah, in terms of sort of practical uh, advice, um, you know, of course, I would say this. But if you if you're looking for anything to develop more imaginative, creative resp- responses to outdoor learning, um, you know, please visit our website, uh, theequidrama.co.uk, and we've got resources that are there to purchase for a small amount. Um, and we can send hard copies all over the world. We've posted to several European countries and Australia was our latest. Mm. Um, And there's loads of tried and tested games and activities and lesson plans um, for early years practitioners, um, primary practitioners, but also educators out with formal school environments. Um, And also, you know, just having a look at our website and being inspired, maybe the productions that we've written um so, you know, for example, we've we've written a play called The Forgotten Orchard. Um, you know, if you're looking to start uh, and plant an orchard with your children, you could look at some of the ideas that are in that play um and and build that in, do some storytelling sessions yourself with pupils um to ignite their senses about what they're about to plant um there's a whole wonderful world of apple trees and fruit trees that've got lovely uh, stories attached to them so mm-hmm. so yeah that that would be a good place to start in terms of using um using art to advance sustainability yeah, um, yeah. but i yeah trust in your imagination I, I think that's and then ask what if asking what if is a a lovely there. way of opening your mind yeah. and um, helping us all in our in our daily lives to think about a future that's hopeful and positive and um, yeah, one that we're excited to move forward into.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for taking time out of your day to speak with me. Well, I really appreciate all of the insight that you you've left me with and that you've shared with everyone who's listening. So oh, uh, thanks, thanks, thanks so much.
1: Yeah, thank you, and for for some um, wonderful questions, and for um, being so passionate and um, interested <laughs> in our work. So, thank you so much.
0: Oh, you're welcome. David Sobel, a well-known author and place-based education researcher based out of Antioch University, outlines seven design principles for lessons and activities in his book, Childhood in Nature design principles for educators his first two principles are respectively adventure and fantasy and imagination out to play embodies this in its purest form they use imagination and fantasy in order to take kids on an adventure a journey out of the classroom into their magical and wondrous schoolyards it's a matter of perspective and i know many young kids who would follow me on an adventure who might otherwise be reticent to follow me on a walk. So, ask what if. What if you went outside for story time? What if you encountered a dragon? What if that dragon's name was Enzo, and he's always secretly wanted to be a baker? What if you planted a few seeds? What if you gave it a try? What if? You fill in the blanks. How often have you told students to believe in themselves? Heed your own advice. Believe in yourself. And as Emily so eloquently put it, trust in the ability of your imagination to get you where you want to go. I'm going to go pop by Enzo's bakery. I can already smell the delicious loaves coming from his dragon breath oven. Thanks for listening to Disconnect, the Outdoor Education Podcast. If you enjoy the content I'm producing, please subscribe and leave some feedback about the show. If you know someone doing something noteworthy, I'd love to hear about it. I can be reached at disconnectpodcast at protonmail.com. I'm Joël Charrière. See you next time.